I want to today talk about the topic of the living church. So I've entitled my message, The Church is to be Alive. Um, some of you might know this already, but before I moved to Leamington, I was uh, working in landscaping. And one of the things that I did as a landscaper uh, was that I installed artificial turf. Um, Lethbridge is a very dry uh, place. It's probably gets the same amount of precipitation as places like Las Vegas or Phoenix. And uh, during the summer, a lot of the vegetation dries up and it goes brown. And uh, I remember one place in particular that uh, we went and worked on. It was, it was a big job. Uh, the owners of the place were two doctors, and so they didn't have time to mow their lawn. And uh, they bought the top-of-the-line turf, and they bought the top-of-the-line uh, synthetic trees and hedges. And I, we, we spent quite a bit of time installing everything, um, and we rolled everything out, and as we were finishing up, people started to comment as they drove by. And they were wondering out loud why somebody would plant palm trees in Canada. And they were wondering out loud how it could be that in August, the lawn was perfectly green. And they drove by never noticing that the grass was in, uh, really synthetic. And so I just want to throw out some pictures here um, of lawns that are, is this real or synthetic? Does anybody know? Kind of hard to tell. Next one. Real or synthetic? Real. Next one. Real or synthetic? Next one. Real or synthetic? Anybody like know for sure it's synthetic or real? Actually, the first one and the last one are synthetic. The middle two are real. See, the thing about synthetic plants or synthetic uh, turf is that it has all the appearances of being real. And the, the thing is that the artificial turf, as we, as we installed it, it's interesting. As you look in, into how it's made, there's six different strands of synthetic fiber, six different colors of green. And then they have three different colors of brown thatch. And we all, like when we were selling it, we'd often talk to people about, yes, you want brown thatch in your lawn. And they were like, well, if I'm paying for fake grass, I don't want any dead stuff in it. But you need the real, the, the curly brown stuff to make it look real. And so, but the thing about synthetic turf is that it looks good, but it isn't alive. I think there are many of us, there might be churches that have this facade. On the outside, we look like we're alive. We do all the right things. We kind of go through the motions. We do all the the religious kind of things, and we put on the synthetic facade of who we want other people to think we are. I think sometimes we think that the worst thing that can happen to a church is that it dies. You know, people, they, they get angry at each other, and churches struggle, and then they die, and they close. But I think a worse tragedy than a church dying is a church that was never alive in the first place. A synthetic church. It never possessed life. It was void. It was devoid of spiritual life. It was fake. So today I want to look at this topic of how do we as a church have 
life in ourselves? How are we to be the living church? And so I've, I've chosen to speak from Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 17 to 20. And here, Ezekiel uses a very similar image. He uses an image of hearts of stone and hearts of flesh. Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 17 to 20, it says this. Therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered. And I will give you back the land of Israel again. They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart. I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. So in this passage of scripture, God is talking to the people of Israel and if you know the Old Testament at all, what the people of Israel were the people that God had set aside for his own purposes. They were, uh, they were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God set them apart so that the Messiah could come through uh, Israel, from the lineage of Israel. But these people that God had set aside for himself did not always follow him. And the reason why they did not always follow him is because they put on this synthetic kind of faith. It was all about what they did. And, but deep inside of them, in their hearts, they were dead. They were non-living. And so God is saying here, I will remove what is there and replace it with a new heart. So God says first that he will give his people a new heart. He says, I will give my people an undivided heart. So what does God mean with a divided heart? How do we have divided hearts? I think sometimes our hearts are divided between which gods we worship. And I'm not talking about, I, I don't think that any of us really have these idols in our homes where Sunday mornings we come here, we pray to the living God in heaven, and then during the week we go into the closet and we pray to a statue or anything. Most of us, when we think of idols, that's what we think of. But when I'm talking about idols, I'm talking about anything or anyone that we place in the place where God should be. It is anything or anyone that we worship, that we give honor to, that is taking the place of God. I think also that our hearts are divided by divided passions. We are people with so many options. We, we have options of doing this. You know, as we get our, Christine and I get our boys involved in sports, we have so many different options. They can do foot, they can't do football yet, but they can do hockey, they can do soccer, they can do baseball. I think, I, I probably don't even know the, all the options that are available to them. And we have to choose where we spend our time because we have all these things that are available to us and our passions, what we are passionate about is often divided. Our hearts are divided by different masters. Maybe you're one of those persons that try to live your life in such a way that you will keep everyone happy. Maybe you have a mother to keep happy. And then you have a husband or a wife to keep happy. And you have children to keep happy. And then you have a mother-in-law to keep happy. And then you have a boss to keep happy. And somehow you have to keep the bank happy too. And we are people that are living lives where we are divided in who we try to serve. 
And this can be exhausting, having divided uh, energy given to different masters. So that's how maybe we struggle with divided hearts personally. But how do churches struggle with a divided heart? I think God's people are sometimes um, not unified around the gospel. They're not unified around mission. They're not unified around grace. So what do I mean with all of these things? There is only one way through which we can have salvation. That one way is through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that if we believe in our hearts and confess Jesus Christ as Lord with our lips, we will be saved. There's only one way to God, one way to eternal life. And when churches kind of steer away from that and they kind of yeah, they kind of hold on to that, but they kind of start emphasizing other messages or other ways of salvation. They're going to be a church that has a divided heart. Or maybe a church is not unified around one vision. They don't know why they're there. Mission is the outliving of the reason why you exist. For example, the church exists to bring glory to God. And mission is the working out of that, making disciples or leading people to become followers of Christ. That is how we work out the reason why we're here. But if people are saying, this is what the church is, and somebody else says, this is what the church is, and the church is not divided, it has a divided heart, because at the very core of who it is, it's divided. And then people are not unified around grace. What do I mean with this? Grace is one of those things that has been life transformational or it has been transformational in my life grace is having the uh, mindset that you want the best for other people and so if people aren't kind of um, unified around that they're all looking out to their own interests they're looking out for somebody else's interests and they're not coming around this this theme of wanting the best for people uh, being gracious to people and ha in the way that we show God's love a church has a divided heart. The next thing that Ezekiel talks about here is that God will put a new spirit in his people. So God will give them new desires. Desires start in the heart. And so that's why he starts with a divided heart. Desires start in the heart. We desire because our heart longs for something. So let me clarify here. I'm not talking about us craving a double-double from Tim Hortons. That's not a craving, that's not a desire of the heart. That's the desire of the stomach. Or some of you, probably just a desire of the heart and your bloodstream hasn't had caffeine in a while. That's not what I'm talking about. But those issues that really define who we are, the, the passions that define who we are, those start in our hearts. And the Bible uses the word spirit and heart kind of interchangeable in some ways. There's two different ways of using spirit in the Bible. The one talks about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. God himself is a spirit. And then it talks about spirit, which is the inclination of the heart, the way that we see things, our attitudes about things, motives. That is another way that it uses spirit. So here he's saying, God will give you a new spirit. He will give you new desires. He will give you new inclinations of the heart. So how does he do that? For the church, for us, 
God does it by giving the church the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit creates in us, personally, and also as a church, a new creation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Someone once said that the longest journey is the 18-inch journey from the head to the heart. See, people with synthetic faith, people with faith that is not living, spend all their time thinking about their faith. But people with living faith think all, or they have their faith in their hearts. It's, it's something who they are. Thirdly, Ezekiel says here is that God will remove their hearts of stone. This is, goes back to the illustration that we started off with between synthetic turf and real lawn. Synthetic turf is not living. It never was living, and it never will be living. A stone is very similar. A stone never was living, a stone isn't living, and a stone never will live. But here God is saying, I will take what is dead, non-living within you. I will take it out, and I will give you a new heart. One of the things that we as churches often talk about, and I think we may, may have talked about and used this word um, more in the past, is this whole idea, this word of revival. We as churches, and I'm, maybe uh, some of you that are a little older remember in prayer meetings, praying for revival. And revival is this idea that as a church, we will turn back to having a passionate, lively faith in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, that's called revival. We maybe have maybe some kind of negative connotations to this whole idea of revival. But revival is this idea of taking what is kind of blah and dead and non-living and being revived so that it is live and passionate for the things of God. Here God is saying, before you can be passionate, I have to do heart surgery. I have to take the dead stuff out of your heart first. I have to remove that heart of stone out of you. And this sometimes can be very painful. When God takes what is dead out of us so that he can replace it with uh, something that is alive. I think one of the things that stands in the way most about uh, between us and revival in a sense of being alive where we are content with our um, with the way that we are. I like what somebody once said and it says that the reason why we are not living in revival today and he's talking about living, living, being alive in our faith, being passionate in our faith. He says, it is because we are content to live without it. And this kind of goes back to one of the words that I, I think really sums up us as people sometimes. And that is one of apathy. Apathy is one of those words that kind of, it's not a word that we use often, but it's this idea of not being able to care about something. It's the kind of summed up in the expression, meh. 
uh, you shrug your shoulders and you just couldn't care less. For me, a, a kind of a definition of apathy is that you don't care and you don't care that you don't care. This feeling, this heart of stone, God is saying he wants to remove from his people. He wants to take out the, the heart of stone that doesn't want to care and is completely care, uh, fine that it doesn't care. If you were here today and you feel like you have a heart of stone, maybe you are, you've been maybe even going through the motions and you've prayed to God, you know, I, I know that I don't follow you the way that I should. I know that my heart is not following you, but I just can't seem to follow you. I can't seem to want it. That is not something, changing that is not something we can do ourselves. It's something that God has to do in us. He has to remove the heart of stone. Then he says that God will give his people hearts of flesh. One of the things that I always enjoy is hearing testimonies of people that have been to Christian counselors. So this is not necessarily a plug for Christian counselors, but we hear these testimonies of people that have gone to Christian counselors or any other counselor, and people that started counseling didn't have any feeling. They weren't able to cry. They weren't able to laugh. They were dead inside. And through prayer and through biblical counsel, their lives are renewed. God gives them a heart, and for the first time, they go home and they bawl. They cry. They weep. And after they said, oh, that felt so good. And we think it felt good to cry? Yes, it felt good to cry because finally a heart that was dead has become alive and has been able to feel again. Jesus talks about, or the Bible talks about how Jesus was um, full of compassion. He had a heart that was alive, was able to empathize with people. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 36, it says this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So here we can see hearts, he calls it the heart of flesh. A heart that is living. A heart that can empathize with other people. A heart that can grieve. And a heart that can rejoice. So in order for us to move from apathy to empathy, we need a work of God. We need God to work in us. And God promises to do that through the Holy Spirit. So now I just want to take maybe just a few minutes just to kind of go through some of the characteristics of a synthetic church. A church that has a heart of stone. So today, as I compare the synthetic church with the living church, I want, what I mean with synthetic and what I mean with living is not necessarily a blanket statement where it's like, it's either completely synthetic or it's completely living. I just want us to be able to process some of the signs of that God has yet to do work in us and God is working in us. So one of the first signs of a synthetic church is that a church is a church of apathy. It isn't that a church is really toxic. It's not that when you go to this church, you're like, well, that church has issues. It's when you go to this church and it just seems like they don't even know why they're there. A church that has no heart. 
A church that has a heart of stone is a synthetic church. And when things happen in the community, the church kind of idly sits by and does nothing. It's an apathetic church, a church with apathy. Secondly, church conflicts are around how things are done rather than mission or vision. So what do I mean with this? A church that is living cares about what it is. A synthetic church, a church that has a heart of stone, cares of what it does. Because it tries to mask its, uh, that it doesn't have any life. I like what John Stott says, and he says this. We need to move past just... Um, we need to move past just what does the layman really want. He wants the building which looks like a church, clergy dressed in the way that he proves, services of the kind that he's used to, and to be left alone. And so what he's referring to, it's kind of written in old, old language, but a layman is a person that just kind of comes to church, is unengaged, doesn't really care about making changes in their own lives, and he's saying this is what they really want. They want a church, and church that is just there for them. It's a church that does, rather than a church that is. Thirdly, a church is program-focused. What I mean with this is not that programs and committees are bad, but have you ever been to a church that has 50 committees for 45 members? A church that is just focused on what it does, and before anything can happen in a church, it's got to go through three committees and they have to approve it and then they have to send the right person to actually do the job. It sounds like some of them maybe of our workplaces, but churches that operate just around committees and are focused around programs are a synthetic church. A church that is stuck in the past is a synthetic church. And I'm not talking about celebrating heritage or that the building might be very old. I'm talking about a strong resistance to updating the way that we share the gospel or being having this kind of mindset of we need to go back to the good old days. Well, the good old days probably weren't so good and the good old days don't exist anymore. We are living in a new time, but a church that is stuck in the past is a synthetic church. Number five, a church that emphasizes what it is against and not what it is for. I think this is especially true politically. And so one of the things that we as a church try not to do is to tell you how to think politically. We obviously all have political values. But a church that gets so involved, we're against this, this is evil, this is uh, something you need to stay away from. A church that is constantly emphasizing what it's against is not emphasizing why it's there. It's emphasizing something that is outside its own purpose. And so we as a church need to emphasize what we are for. We are here for people. We are here for God. And we're here for each other. And if we do fight, and we are to fight, we fight for one another. We don't fight against other people. Who is our fight against? Ephesians chapter 6 verses 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in, this hev in the heavenly realms. So he 
Paul is saying here that the arguments that you have and the conflicts that are in the church and the evil that is in the world, this is not about you fighting each other. This is about you fighting against the evil forces that are against you. So a synthetic church focuses on fighting itself and fighting against things that they're against. So what are some of the characteristics of a living church? Last Sunday, Pastor Ike used, uh, he talked about the different images, the different um, analogies that the Bible uses about the church. And one of them is a body. And so um, the body is a living thing. Another thing that uh, the Bible uses to describe the church is bride. It's another living person. And so one of the main characteristics of a church is that it has life. So number one characteristics of a living church. A church of flesh or a church that is living strives to be healthy. A living church looks after itself. It cares if it lives or if it struggles. If a church falls on a hard time, it struggles. It does the necessary work to become healthy again. One of the things that I think must be very difficult for doctors is that when somebody comes in to see them and they say, I don't feel good, I don't feel good at all, and the doctor looks at the person, the person is smoking, the person is 100 pounds overweight, the person doesn't have any time for exercise, and the person eats junk food all the time. And the person says, I need help getting better. And the doctor being, you know, very gracious and doesn't actually say what's on his mind, prescribes medication for that person. And I'm not doing this to kind of attack anybody here, but this is kind of the idea that we as a church, a healthy church, a living church, struggles and strives towards health. It doesn't make excuses for the way that we are not healthy but yet rather looks to Christ to help us become healthy. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 29, says this, and he's talking about uh, how we care for our own selves. After all, no, ever, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. I also like what uh, one of one of person he was talking about football, and he's talking about exercise and staying healthy and how his athletes were in in good shape. And then he says he was asked, "How has the game of football contributed to the health and fitness of America?" And so this coach talked about how it hasn't contributed at all. What do you mean, asked the reporter. And he says, I would define football as 22 men on the field, desperately needing a rest, and 22,000 fans in the stadium, desperately needing exercise. And I think there's some truth in that. We have in the church, we have people uh, serving, and many of you are faithfully serving in the church. And you are taking almost all your spare time in serving, and, and we want to enable you to continue to do that. But for the church to be healthy, 
All of us need to be serving, not out of obligation, not because somebody is twisting your arm, but because you see the need to have us be a healthy church. Next, a church of flesh, a church, a living church, grows and matures. One of the major differences between synthetic turf and real grass is that synthetic turf does not grow, but living grass does. And so this yard, this, this big lot that I installed these synthetic plants at, when I go and visit them, I, I would go visit them in 10 years from now, that yard would basically look exactly the same. But the yard beside it has living plants, living lawn, living trees, living hedge. And that lawn, if they hadn't cut it, would be tall. Those trees will all be bigger. And everything will have matured on that yard. Synthetic churches don't change. They don't adapt to their surroundings. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 13 says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, obtaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so a, a living church, a church of flesh, grows and matures. So what is growth? I think growth is numerical. We want to see more people come to church. Not just so that we can brag to people, that's not the reason. But I like what Kevin Harney says. He says numbers matter because numbers represent souls. And so we desire to reach more people because every person that we reach has a soul. And Leamington, as, our, as we look at their different signs, some signs say 31,000, others say that there's only about 29,000 people, some say 28,000. Each person in that 28,000 on that sign has a soul. And we as a church want to grow because we want to reach more souls. Growth is also retaining natural growth. And so um, in order for lawn to stay healthy, you need to cut it, you need to rake it, all these different things. And this means that we as a church are retaining. We're trying to, people that are growing up here, we try to enable them to keep following Jesus Christ as they grow older. We grow by retaining natural growth. And growth happens in a healthy environment. How many of you have a goldfish at home? Anybody? Oh, you guys aren't very fish savvy, hey? If you ever looked at a goldfish in a tank, a goldfish is typically probably about that long, maybe, you know, up to 10 centimeters long. And they kind of max out at that size. Do you know what happens if you release a goldfish into the river or the lake? A goldfish is finally able to reach its full potential. And a goldfish actually grows to about 16 inches. It grows to be about a three-pound fish. 
and it's quite larger than the goldfishes that we have in our little tanks. And as churches, I think this is a great analogy to kind of think through. If we as a church are confining ourselves just to this wall, we will limit ourselves to what God can do in us. He will, uh, we will limit ourselves what God wants to do through us. We need to go and feel the surrounding that God has given us. And I don't think that there is really a cap. There is a ceiling to how God wants to use us. He wants us to mature. He wants us to grow. Not for our own sakes, but for his. In the last, a church of flesh, a, ch- a living church reproduces. In the New Testament, Jesus calls this making disciples. This is something that last year we spent a lot of time on. This is what we focused on for the sake of the world. So I won't take a lot of time, but a healthy church reproduces. And so as you uh, meet with people in your workplaces, your neighbors, remember that a living church reproduces. So as I conclude, I want to remind us that nothing replaces the real thing. Nothing replaces living turf. Synthetic turf might look like grass, but if you sit down on it, you spend time on it, you will notice that it's not real grass. And if people spend time with us, they will notice if we are synthetic or if we are real. So let us allow God to take out our hearts of stone and replace it with hearts of flesh. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the life you give us. And Holy Spirit, thank you for awakening our hearts. And Jesus Christ, as the Bible teaches us that we are your body, we take our cues, we take our movement from you. And I pray that we will be a living church that honors you in everything we do. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey church, we hope that this service was a blessing to you. We pray that you leave here feeling not only challenged, but also encouraged. We want you to know that we care for you and are available here for you. If you need prayer, let us know, either by speaking to us in person, uh, calling us, emailing us, or even uh, going to our website to place your prayer requests. We are here for you. God bless you and have yourself a fantastic week. Thanks.